For the director of music, according to Gitteth, a psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Our next reading is in the New Testament from uh, the letter uh, titled Hebrews, and we'll be reading chapter 2, verses 5 to 9. So starting at verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where somewhere someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Well, thanks, Debbie. And please do keep your Bibles or your leaflets open to those passages, um, because that's what we're going to be getting into today. If you're in a paper Bible, please turn back to Psalm 8, because that's where we'll be starting. And as I said before, kids, if you're in here, you have a chalkboard in your pack, and I have some, a progressive drawing for you to do during this sermon And so I need you to be listening for the cues so you know what to draw. Before we get into this, though, why don't we pray again? We always need God's help so much to hear Him. So let's pray now. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank You that although we are small, You pay attention to us, You care for us, and You've given us a huge role in Your creation. And yet we know that we fail at that. So thank You for the Lord Jesus who didn't fail and hasn't failed and won't fail and helps us to do our roles as well. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're following along in your leaflets, there is a brief sermon outline in there. And as we introduce this psalm, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been given a job that you felt at the time was much too big and important for you to do? Perhaps you got a new promotion at work and you felt overwhelmed by it. Or for you kids, perhaps your parents gave you a job to do at home that you felt was much too big and important for you to be trusted with, but they gave it to you anyway. Perhaps they sent you down to walk to the shops or to the library for the very first time on your own or the first time they asked you to put on the washing in the machine. Whoever you are, when you were given that job that seemed too big and important for you to do, how did you feel? 
Well, if you're anything like me, you were probably scared the first time you were given that job. I mean, when we're given a job that feels too big and important for us, most of us feel frightened. And we worry that it's really only a matter of time before the boss finds out that we're totally incompetent and completely out of our depth. But you know, at the same time, even as you felt scared, you probably also felt a little bit proud that the boss had seen fit to ask you to do this job. Yes, you felt out of your depth, and yes, you couldn't understand why someone as big and important as your boss or your mum or dad gave you the job, but you also felt proud that they trusted it with you and obviously felt that you could do it, and so you wanted to do a good job. Well, that's exactly how the psalmist David feels as he writes this psalm. He reflects on how God has given him and all of humanity a big job to do, to rule and care for the world under him. And he feels totally inadequate to do this job. When he thinks how big and important God is, he can't understand how God can even notice humanity, let alone ask us to rule the world under him. But at the same time, he feels special that we've been asked to do this job, despite how small we are. And he wants to do it well. He realises that we are small people, but we've got a big job. And that's what this psalm is all about. And as we'll see, even though it was written 3,000 years ago, it's massively relevant for us today in this hall as well. So let's get right into it. A first point, if you're following along in your bulletins, God is big. This psalm was written by David, a king of Israel in around 1000 BC. And it's a song written according to Gittith which is probably a musical term. Take a look there at those italicised words at the beginning of the psalm. For the director of music, according to Gittith, a psalm of David. Now, just so you know, before we move on, these superscriptions, which are put here in italics, they are actually not insertions by the Bible translator. They're actually original parts of the psalm. So we always read them out and take them into account whenever we're looking at these psalms. Fun fact. Now, the main point that David wants to make in this psalm, Psalm 8, that he's written, is that God is big. You can tell that that's the point he wants to make because it's the first and last lines of the song, which are both exactly the same. Take a look at Psalm 8, verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then the very last verse, verse 9. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We get the point, don't we? What he's saying is that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the Lord of all the universe and his name is majestic in all the earth. Again, so you know, whenever you see the word Lord in little capitals like you do here, that is actually a stand-in for God's personal name, Yahweh. Now, did you know that God actually has a personal name just like we do? He does. Some of us are called Andrew, others are called Suze, and God is called Yahweh, which probably means something like, I am who I am, or I will be what I will be. The point is that right from the outset, God makes it clear that he is personal, and that it is him, the God who has personally revealed himself to Israel and now to us, that is the real God of the universe, and therefore that all other gods are no gods at all. He is Yahweh and his name is majestic in all the earth. And David can tell that 
Because of everything he can see from the world around him, from the very big to the very small. He can see Yahweh's glory in the very big. Look at the second half of verse 1. You have set your glory in the heavens, that is, in the sky. When David looks at the sky, in all its vastness and infinitude, he sees the glory of the Creator Yahweh. David can see the glory of God in the very big. But he can also see it in the very small. Look at verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. What he's saying here is that even what children and babies can say about God is enough to stop his enemies in their tracks. God is so big and so powerful that what even little infants can say about him is enough to leave his foes shaking in their boots with fear. What's his first point? What's his overall point? God is big. So when David thinks about how God big, how big God is, he asks himself, how can he care about us? Humans are so small. How can God possibly care about us? Look there at verses 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Have you ever been out under the stars on a clear night and been struck by just how big the universe is? I remember camping out under the stars in the Northern Territory once and the night was so clear and the sky so full of stars that it felt like there were millions of them. And I've never felt so small in all my life. The sheer vastness of space dwarfed me in that moment. And if you're a kid here and you've got your chalkboard, this is the first thing I want you to draw. I want you to draw a picture of the world and you standing on the world and then lots of stars on top of you. And of course, the universe does dwarf us as human beings. I mean, I am tiny. Six foot four, 88 kilos, 61% of my body made out of water. Two thirds of me and you, you could get out of a tap. In the physical scheme of things, I am nothing, less than nothing in fact. I am just a medium-sized mammal that walks on two legs and has unusually large ears for one of his species. I am tiny, but the cosmos, the cosmos is huge. I am 88 kilos on a good day. The earth is 5,974,000,000,000,000 million kilograms. And it sits in one of the spiral arms of a galaxy that has not just millions of stars, but tens of millions. It's estimated a hundred million, in fact. And our galaxy is one of just one between a hundred thousand and four hundred thousand million in the universe. And that's just the universe we can see, not the universe we can't. And how does David describe this universe? God, it's the work of your fingers. Our two youngest kids, they play with Play-Doh with the fingers. That's the work of their fingers. The universe, that's the work of God's fingers. 
I imagine him rinsing his hands under a big tap after he's made it. So when David looks up at that and lets the weight of that sink in on him, that God is that big, it drives him to incomprehension. How can you pay attention to us? How can you even notice us? We are so small and you are so big. Why do you care about us? You know, you've probably felt the same way when you've looked up at the stars too or done whatever it is that makes you feel small in the big scheme of things. Why would God want to have anything to do with us? But he does. And that's the thing that blows David away. Look there at verses 4, but then verse 5. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You see, we are tiny compared to God. And yet, and the original there in verse 5 does start with a yet, God has made us only a little lower than the angels and has crowned us with glory and honour. That is, although we are small, God still cares for us and we are important. In fact, we are the most important thing that God has ever made. Now, that's good to know when you feel forgotten, isn't it? That God still loves you even when you feel tiny? I mean, we can feel like our lives are very small, can't we? Very suburban. Just lots of washing up and laundry. And going to work. I mean, if you're a kid, sometimes you can feel overlooked, can't you? Like your parents don't have time for you. They're constantly busy. They're always telling you to come back later. We can feel small. We can feel like we're invisible in our own house, let alone in our whole universe. But what this psalm tells us is that God sees you, no matter how small you are. God doesn't think you're unimportant. God doesn't overlook you. You know, Jesus says that not one sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing about it and that there's not one hair on your head that God hasn't counted. For some of us, that's getting easier for God. What kind of spiritual telescope must God have to be able to create the vast reaches of space and yet still be able to see you standing at your kitchen sink or wondering why your little brother or sister won't play with you? Love. That's the telescope he has. And it is trained on you 24-7. You are important. You matter to God. You are a little lower than the angels. You are crowned with glory and honour. Why? Why are you so important? Because God made you in his image. Listen to the very first chapter of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It's coming up on the screen. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That is, God has made us to be like him in some way that sets us apart from all the other animals and the rest of creation. We may be mammals, but we are far more than mammals. We are image bearers of an infinite God and infinitely precious as a result. And why has God made us in his image? Because he's given us a big job to do. Look at the rest of the verse. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God has made us in his image so that we can do something, rule over the world that he has made. 
Now, I need to point out here that the words rule over don't mean dominate and destroy. Now, it has been taken that way by some and used as an excuse to destroy the environment. But that is totally not what that means in this context. What it means is to rule over creation as God rules over it, which is to care for it. Remember, God loves what he has made. And so when he gives us human beings authority over it, he expects us to love and care for it too. That is the job that God has given us as humans, to love and care for the world. And in so doing, reflect some of what it means for us to be made in his image. And you see exactly that in the psalm, don't you? I imagine David has Genesis 1 open in front of him. Look at verse 6. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. That is our glory and honour, verse 5. To rule over and care for God's world. It's to work farms and build cities and make art and write emails and make coffee and care for nature and raise families and have friends and praise God all the while we're doing it. We are small people, but we have a big job to rule and love God's world. So if you're drawing your picture at the moment, kids, I want you to put a change on it. You've got your big world and there's you standing on top of it with the stars above you. I want you to draw a crown above yourself. Our job is to rule and to love God's world. But there's a problem. Because, of course, we haven't done that job well. We've been made to rule and care for God's world, but we've made a mess of it. And as a result, creation has now well and truly gotten out of our hands. Turn over to Hebrews if you're in your paper Bible or just look at it if it's in your leaflet because that's the point that the writer to the Hebrews makes as he reflects on this psalm. He's reflecting on humanity and the great job that God has given us to do and you'll notice that he actually quotes Psalm 8. Look there at verses uh, 6 to um, uh, to 8 there in Hebrews. There is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not yet subject to them. But you know, the the writer to the Hebrews also recognises that although that's how Psalm 8 describes the world, it's not how the world appears to us now, is it? Look there at the very end of verse 8. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, that is, human beings. That is, although God has given us the power to rule the world, the world isn't under our control anymore. Instead, it seems like we've very much lost control. We've lost control over the physical world. It's full of drought and flood and sickness and death. We've only needed the last two years to remind us of that with COVID, haven't we? It's not under our control. We've lost control of the physical world. We've lost control over the moral world. We treat the most precious parts of the world, each other, badly. 
a race that can create as good things like the Red Cross can also commit genocide. The best of us that love our friends and neighbours can also, that very same day, mistreat our workmates. Humans are, as the French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal put it, the trash and treasure of the universe. We are the pinnacle of the cosmos and yet we are also capable of totally ruining it. So kids, if you're drawing along, I've got a third instalment for your drawing here. I want you to leave the crown on your board, but I want to rub yourself out of it because we're now out of control. What went wrong? Well, according to the Bible, sin went wrong. Listen to the way that book Genesis describes it. God told Adam and Eve not to eat from just one tree in the Garden of Eden. They can eat from any other tree that they like, but there's one tree they must not eat from, and if they do, they will die. But what do they do? Well, a snake, one of the animals that they are meant to be ruling over, tells them to disobey God, and they eat it anyway, and they do. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It's coming up on the screen. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. They obey the snake, the one they're meant to rule, instead of God, the one they're meant to obey. In other words, they abandon their job of ruling the world under God and join the world in rebelling against God. Now, whatever you may think about the literalness of that account, the point is really clear, isn't it? Humans have rejected God and abandoned our posts, and that has consequences. The world we're meant to be ruling now fights back, makes life hard for us. Listen to a little further on in Genesis 3. To Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. You see, because we've now abandoned our job as caretakers of God's world, that job is now no longer easy to do. Life is hard. Life fights fights back. That's why work is hard. Family is hard. And friendship is hard. Of course, there's still lots of good bits and it's not all bad. But at its core, there is something about life that we seem to have ruined. What's the solution? Well, of course, Jesus is the solution. And I'm not just saying that because we're in a church. You see, it turns out that Jesus is everything a human is meant to be. And where we fail, he succeeds. Look at, Psalm, uh, look at Hebrews chapter uh, 2, verse 8 again. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In other words, where we have failed at doing our 
<coughs> pardon me, our job as humans, Jesus succeeds. You see, he too was made a little lower than the angels. That is, he became human. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, gave up all the glory he had with the Father and became human, entering this world. Hebrews goes on to describe it like this in verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And he didn't just enter this world for a visit as a tourist to see what it was like to be one of us. No, he entered as one of us to die for us, to pay the price for our rejection of God. Verse 14 of chapter 2 again, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Where we have failed and fail at our job as humans, caring for God's world, caring for each other, Jesus has succeeded by doing the ultimate act of care, dying for us so we can be forgiven and set free from death. And because Jesus has died for us, he, just like the psalm says, has now been crowned with glory and honour. He's got the reward he deserves for his sacrifice, glory in heaven forever. So kids, if you're drawing along in that empty crown, you can now draw not you, but J for Jesus. Because that now means that there's actually hope for humanity. We can be forgiven for all the times we muck up, fail to do our job. See, I think we know that we're made for more, don't we? But we also know that we fail. We fail to live up to our potential as people. And worse, we do the wrong thing and hurt people. And we know that if there's a God, there must be consequences for that. But the great news about Jesus is that we don't have to suffer those consequences ourselves anymore. Jesus has come into the world as a human to die for humans so we can be forgiven. And do you know that hope? You can find it now. You know, if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad you're here. And this is really the guts of the Christian faith. If you're wondering what goes on in churches and what we talk about all the time, this is it. It's finding a forgiveness that comes in not pulling yourselves up by your own bootstraps, but being forgiven by the one person, Jesus, who has done everything right and has died for you. And if you want to know that, you can even today. Or, you know, if you're not ready to take that step yet, we'd love to help you do that. Come and talk to me afterwards. There are ways we can help you find out about Jesus. We would love to do that for you because you can be forgiven. But, you know, the hope actually goes beyond that. The fact that Jesus has done all this doesn't just mean that we can be forgiven. It also means that we can be put back on the right track and start doing our jobs better. You see, Jesus doesn't just come so we can be forgiven. Once we've been forgiven, he shows us how to live. You see, in Jesus, we now know what a human is meant to be like. And so we can copy him, imitate him, 
We can read about his life in the Gospels and see what it means to be truly human, to live a life as God always intended. That's why we're going to finish off the Gospel of Luke in term one when it starts. So we can keep seeing what a truly human life looks like. That's why I want to encourage all of us to read at least one gospel account of Jesus' life a year so we can see what it's like to be truly human and be better at copying him. And you know, God has also given us his spirit, if we're Christians, to help us do that, to help us copy Jesus. You know, if you try to do that on your own, it won't work. You'll fail. I mean, look where human independence got us in the first place. But if you put your trust in God and ask Him to help you to be more like Jesus, by His Spirit, He promises to do it. We can make progress. And that's great news. We are small people, but we've got a big job. And in Jesus, He can help us to do that. And so if you're drawing on your chalkboards... You've got one less thing, one more thing to put in. You can actually put yourself back in the crown next to Jesus. And if you're not drawing on a chalkboard today because you're over 10, you know, mentally, you can do that as well. Because you're right next to Jesus where you belong. And He can help you be who you're meant to be. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you've given us a big job. Even though we're small, you pay attention to us. And yet, Father, we are deeply aware of how often we don't do that job. We don't care for the environment. We don't care for your world. And even worse, we don't care for other people, your fellow image bearers. Father, we are sorry for that. And yet we thank you that the story doesn't end there, that you have sent Jesus, the true human, to be that person for us and to die for us where we deserve to die so that we can be forgiven. And yet the news gets even better. That doesn't just forgive us. You can also help us put back on track by the power of your spirit, being the people we're meant to be. Please help us to be those people. Help us to care for people better. Help us to care for your world better because you are the Lord Yahweh. And your name is majestic in all the earth. And we want to do everything we can to make sure your world knows that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.